Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. Good morning. We get to stand in these moments, don't we? To honor God's word, it's the most important thing we'll hear all day. So that's why we stand. We're going to Ephesians chapter 6. It's in the New Testament. Going to verse 10. You ready? A final word. This is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Isn't it good to hear that? You can be that. Strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. There is a devil, and he has strategies, but you can stand against them. Here's the thing. We've got to stop fighting each other, especially in the church. It should stop. Why? Because what does Paul say next? For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You are not just a physical being, you are a spiritual being. And there is a spiritual attack, but there is a God who is more powerful. Verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Aren't you glad you get God's righteousness instead of yours? And yet we still try for our own. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. This is the Word of God. Amen? Amen. You can have a seat. Thanks, bro. Before I jump in uh, this morning, just a quick reminder Tomorrow night at 6.30, we are having an all-church meeting uh, that is annual that our elders will be running. And this is an opportunity for you to hear what God's been up to. We're going to tell some stories. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have some financial transparency. That's always good, isn't it? Introduce some new elders and have a question and response time. Different than a question and answer. We probably have more responses than answers, but we will have responses. So you will get to bring any question that you've had. Maybe you're new here and you've got some things you want to know or ask. You can come. Maybe after today's message, you're going to want to come and ask some questions around that. But uh, we would love to have you tomorrow night, 6.30 till 10 Um, (laughs) o'clock. Fully kidding, it's 8 o'clock, so now doesn't it feel shorter? So everybody's like, well, that's easy. I can do that. It's only an hour and a half. And we will have childcare. From infants all the way to fifth grade, and the staff will be taking care of your kids. I'd be afraid. (laughs) Be very afraid. But that's just a service that they want to offer, and so excited to do that tomorrow night at 6.30. Come hang out with us. It'll be really good. Let me start by telling a story of my time in Lebanon. 
about a guy named Nicholas that Terrence and I had the amazing opportunity to sit down with and hear his story about coming to faith. He grew up in a Christian home, Lebanese Christian. And it was during the time he grew up when Syria invaded Lebanon and they took his dad prisoner and took him back to Syria. His mom had to sell everything they owned to get their dad out of prison after four years. They lived in poverty after that because of what she had to do. He had a deep hatred for the Syrian people and he struggled with God. And one day, a girl invited him to church. And that's how the story goes, right? <laughs> girl invites him to church. And he meets the youth pastor. And they sit down. And he shares Jesus with him. And he said, man, this, it's, it's the first time I heard Jesus in that way. He said, I agreed to meet again. And so the next time we met with the pastor and his girlfriend. And the pastor said, hey, I want to pray for you. And I want to read this passage of scripture over you. And he said, that'd be great. And so he did. And at the end of reading the scripture and praying for him, he said, what did you get out of that? What jumped out to you? And he said, man, it was powerful to hear about the prodigal son that ran away from home and one day was called back and his father came running and received him in. And man, I'm the prodigal son and God is calling me home. And they were just looking at him. And she said, that's not the scripture he read. But that's the scripture that he heard. Let that sink in. That God will do whatever he has to do to get the message he wants for your life to you. Even if he has to take the message that's being read and change it into the one he wants you to hear. Isn't that a powerful God? I think, I think I'm way more blown away by that than people in this room today. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Did, he changed it from what he was. I'm just messing with you. So what I'm praying today is that when I talk, that the, the space from here to your ears gets changed into what God wants you to hear. If it even has nothing to do with what I'm saying, can we at least expect that? Wouldn't that be good? <laughs> We really needed that upbeat part because it's about to get heavy. <laughs> I want to say something. I want you to hear my heart. At the heart of the Hope Collective, the heart of the leadership of this church, the staff, the people who call this home, at the heart of this church is a deep desire to become like Jesus. I need you to hear that. It's not to become religious. It's not to become perfect. It's not to become what everybody else wants me to be. It's to become like Jesus. At the heart of everything we ask you to be part of, everything we do on a Sunday, everything we ask you to jump into is a desire for you to become like Jesus. That our vision as a church, no matter what it is we're doing, is to become like Jesus in such a way that it transforms us from the inside out so that we go to our neighborhoods and when we go to our community and we go to our jobs, people see Jesus more than they see us. That is at the heart of this whole thing, is to help you become like Jesus. And so for the last three weeks, we've exposed the enemy of our soul that is attacking our lives to keep us from becoming like Jesus. We talked about it. Matter of fact, John Mark Comer says this about it. The devil's primary strategy to drive the soul and society into ruin, which is his goal, it's called despair, is deceptive ideas. He lies 
that play to disordered desires, our flesh, which are normalized in a sinful society, the world. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The past three weeks, we've exposed that that's the trifecta coming after your heart. And Jesus came to die so that those would be defeated and you can become like Jesus. So we've exposed them. And let me help you understand. The devil did not in that moment, the enemy of our soul go, now they know. Darn it. Got to move on some other church because this church figured it out. It's not what he's doing. Do you want to know what he did? The moment you found out his plan and his strategy, he doubled down on every place he has a foothold in your life. And he's coming for real. To be enlightened to the enemy's strategy is to simply be aware that he hates you. And so we need Jesus. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to paint a picture of what it looks like to rise up and resist that attack. It's the resistance, right? It's like, rise up. Mm. You know what I mean? Like sometimes Christians act like the most defeated people in the world when you're the most victorious people in the world. So we're going to rise up and we're going to do what God is asking us to do, not because we have to or someone told us to, or we got to work hard enough at it, but because it's what he's doing in us so that he can do something through us, right? So we're going to do that next week. But before we get there, I think there's a hidden attack on God's church. And I think God's people, who are his church, has been exposed to this attack, and it's time that we expose the attack, call it out, and name it. Because if we can name the attack, then just maybe we can live victorious. Just maybe we can experience the power of the Holy Spirit that would take a passage being read in one language and interpret it into a completely different story to be heard by someone else's ears. That's the Holy Spirit. That's not something that we, is a cool idea. That happened. That's the power of God. What? How many of you saw that happen? Can everybody just give me a second here? Because, yeah, because it's, uh, it's, they're all numbered. Uh, <laughs> thank God. Somebody, somebody, if I just wouldn't get so excited, maybe. Okay, so here we go. Oh, man. I'm not going to blame that on the devil, just my own clumsiness. <laughs> this, this week's message was supposed to be the concluding message to the series Counterfeit Kingdom until Monday of this last week. And I felt like God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, spoke to me and our team and said, no, we need to expose something bigger and greater. And so I need you to set that plan aside and I need you to do this. And so we are. We're gonna listen to what God is asking us to do. And I'm telling you, it's come at a cost. Because when you step into obedience with God, you're going to face resistance from the enemy. But we're doing it anyway. And so here's what I think God wants to say to us as a church. Remember, at the heart of the Hope Collective is a deep desire to what? 
become like Jesus. The only way we do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit, period. The only way we become like Jesus isn't that you go try harder. The way we become like Jesus isn't that you work on it more. The only way we become like Jesus isn't that you let the shame and the guilt and the condemnation win out every time you hear a message like this. The only way we become like Jesus is if we let the Holy Spirit inside and partner with him through humility to transform us. That's how we grow. That's how we change. That's what God is wanting to do. But there is a counterfeit to that spirit at work in the church today. So God has given us the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I have to leave so the Holy Spirit can come because you're gonna need it because he's your helper and he's your source and he's your power. And the enemy of our soul has handed the church a counterfeit to that power. And we, every one of us, are living in some form or in some way under it. It's at work in the church today. It's at work in Christians today. And it is not of God. And it is in most of us, if not all of us, and to some degree, in some of us more than others. And here's what it is. Here's what God is asking us to expose. A religious spirit. Another way you can say this is the spirit of religion. In the past six years, we've said death to religion. We've actually said the only thing not welcome here is religiosity. We're just not going to put up with it in this church. Everybody's welcome. Everybody can come in. Not religiosity. Not a religious spirit. It's not welcome here. So we said death to religion. Now let me tell you what I believe religion is. Religion is simply driven by self-effort and works to accomplish the thing God wants to do in your life without God. It is this sense of Jesus being a value-add proposition to your and my pursuit of the American dream as if that dream ends in some kind of hope. Remember, it's a dream because you had to be asleep to believe it. But he's got us using Jesus to get there instead of Jesus being the dream. Instead of transform a transforming relationship with Jesus where salvation through faith in Jesus is what we have. And so Jesus comes in and radically redirects our hearts and the people around us say something's different about you. You're changing. I'm noticing. I see more of Jesus. So we're going to talk about four answers, four questions. What is a religious spirit? or a spirit of religion? What did Jesus have to say about it? What does it look like in a believer's life? And what do we do about it? Can we do that? Lord, help us do that. What is a religious spirit? Here's the best definition that I have for you. A religious spirit is a demon which seeks to substitute religious activity for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, some of us, we just struggle with that word demon, okay? The Bible's very clear, but maybe it will be helpful if we said a demonic force. I believe it's a demon. I'm gonna read it again. A religious spirit is a demon which seeks to substitute religious activity for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it's hard to tell the difference. But we're gonna expose it. A religious spirit is a type of demonic spirit that influences a person or a group of people to replace a genuine relationship with God with works and traditions. It's subtle, but it's destructive. The spirit of religion is a shift from joyful obedience in God. Notice I said joyful obedience in God and a transformed life to simply doing the right things and abstaining from the wrong ones. 
That's exhausting. How many of you have lived that life? The spirit of religion only allows for outward righteousness. It does not transform the person or the heart. Rather, it puts on a front and appearance that is no greater than skin deep. This impacts the local church by creating divisions between individuals and stealing the joy, freedom, healing, and transformation that comes through the power of God. Why has the church been so ineffective in today's culture? It's been ineffective because it's leaned heavier on a religious spirit than the power of God. And that is true about every one of us, even me. Before I came to this place today, I had to repent of a religious spirit in me. I'm not any better than you, but I'm done. And I want it exposed. And I want the Holy Spirit more than anything else. May that be our prayer also known as the pharisaical spirit. It is the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 16. He said, the leaven of the Pharisees is this religious spirit. Don't listen to it. Don't let it in. It's the spirit that Jesus rebuked the most and not in a very nice way. Go with me to Matthew chapter 23 if you have your Bibles. It's to the left if you were in Ephesians. Matthew chapter 23. And then go to verse... 15, Jesus speaking, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. Verse 25, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. Let's go to 27 and 28. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, there's a trend here, for you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And some of us right now are doing an inventory of how we love Jesus on the outside, but there's things on the insides that we've yet to deal with because we've been struggling to know which one is more powerful, the spirit of religion or the spirit of God. It is a counterfeit of the true love of God. It promotes rituals over relationship with God, formulas over following God's lead, tradition over truth, doing over being, and obligating God's reciprocity based on our religious activity. Matter of fact, if you go to Matthew 15, verse six through nine. In this way, you say, don't need to honor their parents, and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites, I mean, Golly, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Jesus is exposing the religious spirit, the spirit of religion, and it's not nice. 
He's speaking to it. And I believe he's trying to tell us as a church, where does it exist in your life? And wherever it does, ruthlessly go after it because it's keeping you from what God has. So what did Jesus have to say about it? Well, during his famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, he corrects several misunderstandings. But listen to this one in verse 20 of chapter five. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we were sitting on the couch the other day, weren't we? And Caden was reading his Bible, and I'm, I'm so proud of who this young man is becoming in Jesus. And he pulled this passage up, and he's like, what, what does this mean? And I think I gave a pretty lame attempt at answering it. And he needed to go on a journey, and then I'm in this, preparing for this, and here it is again. So I got a better answer today than I had the other day. And isn't that okay as parents to get it wrong? And then just say, I got it wrong. Because my identity is not in being a dad. It's just in Jesus. So mess that up. Here you go. <laughs> Jesus seems to be making a bold statement. And the crowds were probably thinking, my righteousness has to surpass the righteousness of the professionally righteous. I mean, could you imagine what they're processing in that moment? And you might be thinking the same. How can I, a normal Christian, without extensive and lifelong training, ever be on the same playing field as those who have devoted their entire life to know and follow the Scripture? <laughs> I just admitted I didn't know something. It's pretty easy, right? What might God want to say to us in this moment when we have that kind of thinking? The answer is simple. Jesus wasn't talking about our righteousness being greater or better than that of the Pharisees. Rather, he was describing a righteousness that was different altogether. This is what he's doing. It has to, has to go beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees. The righteousness that Jesus desires is not defined in the same terms that the Pharisees defined it. The Pharisees defined righteousness by outward actions, and they loved to practice the righteousness in front of others. That's what Jesus is addressing in Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 16, that we'll go into for the next three weeks. We're going to flip the script on the next series. But the extent of the righteousness was doing the right things and refraining from the wrong things. Stay with me. Yet their thoughts and heart and desires were plagued by sin and evil. They were not transformed. Instead, they were outwardly clean and inwardly evil. So he calls them hypocrites. Jesus desires righteousness that goes down deep to the heart. He wants righteousness to begin inward and reflect outward. And he's telling you, you can't do that without me. But the spirit of religion will come in and say, yes, you can. Just keep working harder and trying harder and doing things. And will keep you from the transformation that God has for you. Good actions and abstaining from sin are the fruit of a purified heart that is holy to the Lord. Keyword, it is the fruit, meaning good deeds and actions are the result of the tree of life being cultivated within an individual. What's the fruit of your life look like? And it will be a good determination if the Holy Spirit is at work or a spirit of religion is at work. Scripture tells us the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How many of you this week said something that you should never have said? Raise your hand. Yep, that's because it traces back to a heart that God wants to get a hold of, but something else has a hold of. 
And so when something comes from your life that doesn't look nice, that doesn't look like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, gentleness, kindness, self-control, then it must be coming from a different spirit. Jesus wants the heart to be transformed by the grace that was poured out in his death and resurrection through faith. Believers are able to believe it. It's God at work, not you. We don't make ourselves righteous. We have been given the righteousness of Jesus. Therefore, if we didn't earn our salvation, why are you so concerned that what you did gets you out of it? That'll have to be another message for another day. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're able to live it out. Jesus wants the good works that the Pharisees were able to do to continue. I want you to hear this. But he wanted the motivation to change. He wanted the good works that the Pharisees were doing to continue. But he wanted the motivation of the heart to change. And he uses the term when. This is used in instance of when you pray and when you give to the needy and when you fast and etc. Listen, prayer, fasting, giving to the needy and doing good deeds should be a regular part of a believer's life. We're going to talk about this as resistance for the next three weeks. But I want you to hear this again. Prayer, fasting, that's food, not chocolate. That's food, not social media. <laughs> Giving to the needy and doing good deeds should be a regular part of a believer's life. When you hear should be a regular part of the believer's life, how many of you are hearing shame, guilt, and condemnation? If you hear it at all, that means the voice of a religious spirit is speaking in your ear. And you've given it power. Because God will not use that. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Just an invitation to be like Jesus. But the mentality should shift from begrudging obligation to a joyful opportunity. Man, if following Jesus is something you feel like is a duty instead of a delight, then either find Jesus or stop. It's just not worth it. Because you've got a religion, not a savior. You've got a religion, not a Lord. And let's go one step further. You've got a religion, not a treasure. Because as you stay in the faith, he goes from Savior to Lord. And if you stay long enough, he'll go from Lord to treasure. And you'll sell a field just to get it. When the joy and love of the Lord are truly known and experienced. Individuals cannot help but live in such a way that produces more love and provision into their families and friendships and community and world. And would to God we stop fixating only on our families and get to friendships and community and the world. It's called the resistance. Some people get so wrapped up into a spirit of religion that their beliefs, actions, and life don't even reflect the Scripture. Scripture God's word makes it clear that salvation comes only by grace and through faith. Additionally, it makes clear the expectation of growth and sanctification within a believer's life. I'm not stepping into this just to get heaven. I'm stepping into this to become like Jesus. I'm not stepping into this just to be forgiven. I'm stepping into this to become like Jesus. I'm not stepping into this just so I wake up with a clear conscience because of what I did or didn't do. I'm stepping into this to become like Jesus because I get Jesus. That's what this is about. That's the Holy Spirit and the power of God. 
Jesus commanded disciples to make disciples, not converts. Disciples are on an ongoing journey of becoming like their disciple maker. What did I say at the beginning? The heart of the Hope Collective is a deep desire to become like Jesus. But the spirit of religion will keep you from it. Another downside is that it brings division and separation to a community of believers. And those struggling with a religious spirit are often more concerned about themselves than others. This isn't your church. I need you to hear me. If you, if you call this church home, this isn't your church. The problem starts when we call it our church and then we start demanding things that we want versus what God wants. This is his church. And we make an assumption that when you walk through those doors and begin to call this the church that you're becoming a part of, that you've done that because the Holy Spirit has led you here, not it was the best shopping opportunity. And when he leads us to this place, it's to become part of what he's doing, not demand that it look the way you need it to look. It can't look the way you need it to look because God needs to stretch and change you. You don't want it to look the way you want it to look. But you need to trust that there's a leadership and there's a team that are praying and on their knees and saying, God, not only what does Sunday look like, but what does Monday look like? And what does Tuesday look like? And what does Wednesday look like? And what does Thursday? Because that's where the Holy Spirit takes us. Religion keeps you in one hour of a day and then makes you fixate on it. So if the music's not right or the preaching isn't right or this isn't right, then you go find something else. That's a spirit of religion. You think if we'd have let everybody vote, we'd have store the tore the stage out? There's no chance. Moses went up the mountain and the people were in control and what do they build? A golden calf. And we've been spending the last five years tearing down the golden calf. Those struggling with a religious spirit are often more concerned about themselves than others. And when this is the case, love does not abound. And when love does not abound, the atmosphere is tense. And it is missing out on all the goodness that the Lord created community and close relationship to be. So what does it look like to believe? In, what does it look like in a believer's life? Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistle? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Some of you are like, stop judging me. Just looking at the fruit. I ask people into my life to look at the fruit. What do you see? And when it doesn't measure up to the fruit of the spirit, it's probably a spirit of religion. All right, I'm gonna give you 25 warning signs of religious spirit and I'm not gonna, un- I just looked at the clock, I know. I know I'm good, 25, I can get through these really fast. Because I'm not going to spend time on like I'm not going to unpack them. We'll laugh at some of them, right? Here's what I want you to do is, as I read, and these are 25. Matter of fact, Rick Joyner, if you want to look him up, did a study. He came up with these 25. There's actually probably thousands that are evidence of a religious spirit in our lives. If you're guilty of any of these 25, we go on a journey, right? Right? Oh, I hope so. Because as a church, that's what we're praying, that God reveals it all. 
and that we can live by the power of the Holy Spirit instead of a religious spirit. So I'm gonna give these really quick, 25. Here's what I want you to do. If one of them's you, just kind of go like that. If another one's you, just go like that. If there's another one, go like that. I don't think you'll have 25, but you might. But you might get 10. You got that, okay? So just, just keep track. Here we go, you ready? Number one, will often see as their primary mission the tearing down of what they believe is wrong. Whew. Wouldn't it be great <laughs> if the world knew more about what we were for than what we were against? Two, will be unable to take a rebuke, especially from those they judge to be less spiritual than themselves. <laughs> uh. We'll have a philosophy that will not listen to men, people, but only to God. Hey, God speaks through men, through women. That's how God speaks. His word through men, spiritual ones. We'll be inclined to see more of what is wrong with other people, other churches, etc., than what is right with them will be subject to an overwhelming guilt that he can never measure up to the Lord's standards or she can never measure up to the Lord's standards. Will keep score on their spiritual life. Will believe that they have been appointed to fix everyone else. Now, now hey, listen. If, if you spot it, you got it. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> we'll have a leadership style which is bossy, overbearing, and intolerant of the weaknesses or failure of others. We'll have a sense that he or she is closer to God than other people or that his life or her life or ministry is more pleasing to God. We'll take pride in the spiritual maturity and discipline, especially as it compares to others. 11, we'll have the belief that he or she is on the cutting edge of what God is doing. Ouch. We'll have a mechanical prayer life just because you gotta get it in. Religious spirit. Thirteen, we'll do things in order to be noticed by people, by men. By the way, when, it, when it's a he or a she or one or the other, it's all-inclusive. We'll be overly repulsed by emotionalism. <laughs> we'll use emotionalism as a substitute for the work of the Holy Spirit. Got you both. <laughs> yep. Sixteen, will be encouraged when their ministry looks better than others. Oh. Seventeen, will glory more in what God has done in the past than what he's doing in the present. Eighteen, will have the tendency to be suspicious of or to oppose new movements and churches, etc. Nineteen, will have the tendency to reject spiritual manifestations that he or she does not understand. To your own peril. 20 will overreact to carnality in the church. <laughs> that's, that's the Christian that hears somebody struggling with something and goes, <gasps> somebody cusses. <gasps> it's a religious spirit. 
will overreact to immaturity in the church. We'll be overly prone to base evidence of God's approval on manifestations. Someone told me one time, never mistake God's anointing on your life as his approval of your life. He used a donkey. Mm-hmm. 23, will be unable to join anything that they do not deem as being perfect or near perfect. 24, will be overly paranoid of the religious spirit and quick to recognize it in others, but not in themselves. We'll have the tendency, number 25, to glory in anything but the cross of Jesus, what he's accomplished and who he is. When you have a greater need to be seen than Jesus be seen, there's a religious spirit. By show of hands, don't put your number up. <laughs> How many were implicated on any level? Me too. And thank God for the Holy Spirit that has asked us to go here so he can expose it. And so we can name it. And when we name it, we can say, wherever it is, God, hunt it down in me. Yeah. You know how he does that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God's word, and by surrounding yourself with people who will see the fruit yep. and tell you what it is. Let me give a warning as the band comes. Not about the band, but let me give you a warning. <laughs> Thought about that as I said that. <laughs> yeah. Let me give you a warning. Here it is, because we're going to respond. Plenty of time. We must be cautious and careful in accusing others of having a religious spirit, because it's really hard to prove. One of the things I love about 12-step ministry is you never judge the other person. And the moment you do, you spot it, you got it. It's a reflection of what's going on in you. What you need to be doing right now is looking in the mirror, inviting the Holy Spirit through humility to join you or you join him and rooting it all out because the world doesn't want your religious spirit because it is the spirit of all religions outside of God. And it's hard to prove. Individuals caught up in a religious spirit are very resistant to change. That's why you don't address it. You address it in you. And confrontation seldom works with a religious spirit. So we pray for that person and for ourselves to receive divine revelation while binding the religious spirit in Jesus' name. Jesus said to Peter, who wanted the kingdom of God to be his, Get behind me, Satan. And Peter's like, what? He said, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. That is religion. Counter every lie with scriptural truth. Brian gave us great clarity on how to do that. 
The worship of God brings in his presence, which drives away the religious spirit. Do you know we don't sing songs because that's what church people do. We sing songs to drive spirits away so that in the space where the spirits that have been hounding you all week are gone, God can speak truth. That's why we do. And when you don't engage in these moments for whatever reason that the enemy has lied to you to say you don't have to, you miss it because it's divine. Make it a practice to die daily to self. Give you three R words that can be our response. Repent. If there's a religious spirit you've got in you, repent. Come to God and say, it's there, I see it, and I'm sorry. Renounce it. I don't want to agree with it anymore. I don't want to live in that spirit. I want to make room for the Holy Spirit. So I need to get that one out. Renounce it in Jesus' name. I don't agree anymore that the way I get God is to work harder. I'm done. That the way I get to God is to make sure that I'm at least better than somebody else. You renounce it. Lastly, you resist. The Bible says in James 4, 7, re, submit to God, resist the devil, and he has to flee. It's the power of God. And so we repent, submit to God. We renounce, we resist. And the devil goes and we begin to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we're making room. We do that through the Holy Spirit, God's word, and community. Trees don't try. They just produce fruit. What fruit are you producing? May it be the Holy Spirit's fruit. May it be the Holy Spirit. One more thing. As we sing this song, this is our opportunity to respond. First service, I was so blessed that by the time I got to this moment, there was a man sitting right here, kneeling, weeping, because he called out the religious spirit. This space is always open. Sometimes you got to move toward God. We gotta get out of our comfort and make a move. Sometimes it's to turn and kneel. But can we go to God today and repent of our religious spirit? And can we invite the Holy Spirit on a journey with us to become like Jesus? That's what we want you to do during the song. Not just sing, but react and respond. Let's do business with Jesus today. Because he's here and he's willing and he's ready.
Come on, church, sing it out. Make it a prayer. Thy spirit within me created me a clean heart, oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. Come on, here's the prayer. Cast me not away. Cast me not away from thy presence, oh Take not, take not the Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Yes, and renew a right spirit within me. And renew, and renew a right spirit within. Right spirit within me. That was the prayer of King David. Do you know that God will let you live with a religious spirit if that's what you want? But today we say that's not what we want. Don't cast me away from your presence. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. As we go, I wanna give you something that I think has been a gift to me. We started by reading about the armor of God and we're gonna end by praying a prayer of the armor of God that we're gonna send you through our Monday email so that you have it. What would happen if you began to pray it every day? But before we do that, Brad, I want you to come. We're an elder-led church. I don't stand up here as the pastor. I stand up here as one of our elders. And I just want you to hear from one of our elders about this message today, how important it is. No pressure. (laughs) We are an elder-led church, and we're here not by accident. We're hearing the Holy Spirit's message today, right now, not by accident. It's happened because the Holy Spirit has spoken to us. And we've been exploring this as a group of elders, and we've been praying about this and fasting as well. And the Holy Spirit has revealed that we must break the chain of the demonization of religion. It's not going to be easy, but we've got to turn to selflessness and to prayer. Pray before pay. Fund pray, not fundraise. Yeah, that's good. So we are in unity, and I hope you'll come tomorrow night. So we're gonna pray this prayer as we go. Have it up there, we're gonna pray it together. And this will be a gift to you. I'm also gonna send you those 25 things in the same email, because people were asking, or you just Google Rick Joyner, 25 things. You'll find them. This is our heart. This is our desire every day. Dear God, today we put on the full armor to guard our lives against attack. We put on the belt of truth to protect against lies and deception. We put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect our hearts from the temptations that we battle. We put the gospel of peace on our feet so we're ready to take your light 
wherever you send us this day. We choose to walk in the peace and freedom of your spirit and not be overcome with fear and anxious thoughts. We take up your shield of faith that will extinguish all the darts and threats hurled our way by the enemy. We believe in your power to protect us and choose to trust in you. We put on the helmet of salvation, which covers our minds and thoughts, reminding us we are children of the day, forgiven, set free, saved by the grace of Jesus. We take up the sword of the Spirit, your very word, the one offensive weapon given to us for battle, which has the power to demolish strongholds, alive, active, and sharper than any double-edged sword. We ask for your help in remembering to put on your full armor every day, for you give us all that we need to stand firm in this world. Forgive us, God, for the times that we've been unprepared, too busy to care, or trying to fight and wrestle in our own strength. Thank you that we never fight alone, for you are constantly at work on our behalf, shielding, protecting, strengthening, exposing deeds of darkness, bringing to light what needs to be known, covering us from the cruel attacks we face, even when we're unaware. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Amen. We love you. Have a great day. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.